Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. It's like you knew. So, since I started posting the videos to YouTube, uh, I've gotten several comments. Five times now. Five times people have commented on the fact that I have not made my bed to their level of satisfaction, I think is the way you could put it. That they've said to me, like, you didn't make your bed or uh, it's, it was messier than I expected. Now, here's the thing. Yes, I do have a, clearly a reputation of someone who, you know, is relatively clean, organized, takes care of his stuff. They're failing to take into account extraneous factors. Uh, their assumptions about me personally, I wouldn't even say they're, they're, they're correct. The problem is they're not looking at sort of the whole picture of my lifestyle. Now, as soon as I started this stream, the little bastard left. So you can see on my bed, if you're watching the video, there's a little bone. It's a chew toy for a dog. Now, usually when I film and record the podcasts, my associate Dave is on the bed. Now, Dave, I get up, I make my bed. Dave, when he comes in for the afternoon to settle down, kind of chill out with me for a bit, Dave likes to remake the bed to his satisfaction. Now, he and I have clearly very different tastes. But the commentary is of such a personal nature, I felt it needed to be addressed. Like, you have to realize that, first of all, your image of me as a person, it might not be accurate. So maybe I don't make my bed. Maybe I don't care. Maybe bed making, I, I see a few things in life. So like you make your bed, you get up, you go away, you come back, you mess up your bed. It actually makes sense to me why you would not make your bed. One thing I personally hate is drying dishes. So we have a washing machine, but we usually don't have that many dishes. So I tend to wash all the dishes by hand. And that doesn't bother me at all. There's an immediate result. There's something that happens. There's a benefit to it. You have clean dishes. Wiping dishes, I absolutely despise. So drying them off. And why? Because if you just put them on the rack and wait, they will air dry. So that, to me, seems like wasted effort. And that's something that I hate. I hate wasting effort. So actually, making your bed just to mess it up again does fall into that category. So I could actually see it. But you can see that the bed's a little messed up. And I was going to pull back in my chair and reveal that Dave was sleeping on the bed. As soon as the stream started, he got up and left out of the room. It's like that little son of a bitch knew. Son of a bitch being an incredibly accurate term in this case. It's not rude at all. This might be one of the most random podcasts. That's very appropriate again as we head towards the new year and wind down the last episodes of podcast. It's good to just get it all out of my system all these little bits and bobs, uh, just for your pleasure and mine, so that I don't 
I don't, you know, carry it on into the future. Uh, so, it, you know, sits in my, in my heart. The bed thing doesn't bother me. I just think it's funny. People have an image of me and they have clearly an image of my bed. And I, I it's not bad. Everything I have is very simple though. It's just like a sheet. So all I gotta do is throw the sheet on it and it's, it's fine. But you can see it's, yeah, it's kind of messed up. Okay, when I say random, I mean really random today. I basically went through all my notes and found all the smallest notes. And I was like, well, let's just deal, deal with these and let's just get them out there. Last week I was walking along. Not a very exciting story so far. Last week I was walking along and there was a very cute girl and guy. They were like uh, teenagers, maybe. Uh, <clears throat> could have been a little older. It's a little difficult for me to tell age at this point because I don't care. They paused. And then he leaned back on sort of a banister that was next to them. And quite casually cupped her vagina. And that, that I paused for a moment. I didn't want to stare. Certainly at a, a couple where the male is cupping the female's vagina. I didn't want to like stare at that. I didn't want to make that into an issue. So I kept going. I did pay particular attention to her face to see if this was, in her world, unusual behavior. And it clearly wasn't. She was fine with it to the point where it, it clearly actually seemed commonplace. The, having a cupped vagina was clearly a normal thing in this relationship. What made me think was like, how do you get to a point where the casual cupping of the vagina is a normal stage of relationship. What stage is it? I would say it has to be post-copulation. Like they have to have had intimate relations for him to feel comfortable enough with her body parts to just cup them whenever he felt like it. It was a, a cool day. So there was the question of, is he keeping his hand warm or is he, in a very gentlemanly fashion, trying to keep her vagina warm? I just know that in all the relationships I've had, so I've had several relationships with several women over the years, I've been alive, that if at any point I had just casually cupped my girlfriend's vagina, I'm pretty sure I would have got a little what the fuck's going on there reaction. I don't think it just would have been an acceptable gesture. And that made me kind of happy because what I think I saw was two people with similar sensibilities who found each other in this, this unfathomable world, is this, this massive sea of other people who would not have been comfortable with A, cupping or being cupped to the point where it was almost romantic that they had found each other and found a place in the world where they could be who they are. I did really want to ask the question though, is this for him or is this for her? I did have an experience. Back in university, I had a girlfriend. And apparently, I was unaware I was doing this. She was standing at the counter. This was like a fast food place. And I was standing behind her. And she says that I unconsciously just started to sort of hump her from behind. Like just a, a little bouncing motion here and there. And she didn't stop me. She just told me about it after, like, was she was kind of aware that I was unaware. And I thought, oh, you know, that that's nice. Just when I'm that close to this person, it was almost like an uncontrollable reaction that I would just want to be in sexual congress. I would just want to be together. 
I wanted to make my body impact hers as often as possible. At first I was weirded out, and then on second thought I was like, ah, it's not so bad. And then on third thought I was like, what's going on? There was a thing I saw, it, it actually someone sent it to me, I didn't think it would make a, a good full episode, but it is worth talking about. And the comment was, I smashed the job interview, but a candidate that did worse than me got the job and I didn't. How do I convince them they made the wrong choice? That's a very interesting statement because I guarantee they did not make the wrong choice. I actually witnessed something similar to this. So I have been on and off involved in interviews in my company. It's not really my job, but I'm happy to help out. I sometimes go in and ask questions, uh, but it's not really my position. I'm fine with that. I'm happy to help. I'm happy to not help. I don't really care. It's none of my business. But a long, long time ago, we had a guy come in. And these were for teaching positions. And this guy had a lot of experience teaching. And he came in and he did a demo. And his demo was fine. So you're supposed to like demo a kid's class or some kid's activities. Because one of the bigger problems we have is getting people who can actually interact and teach children well. And we get a lot of people who are embarrassed to like sing songs with kids or are embarrassed, uncomfortable with interacting with children like children need to be interacted with. So this guy did a great job. His demo was excellent. And he then, when we went to the one-on-one interview where we actually have a conversation with him, he took this incredibly casual position in the chair. Like he already had the job. And he talked to us as if we were already coworkers. And honestly, he talked to us as if this was a formality and we could be dismissed at any time. Now, myself and the guy in charge of HR at the time had a conversation after he left, and it was very clear that he wasn't going to fit in because he wasn't going to certainly pay attention to the training. So my job was is training people on our methodology, and he thought he knew everything. So there was not going to be any benefit to training him because he was never going to change what he did. But worse than that, his incredibly casual attitude made it clear that he didn't actually respect us or have any regard for our authority. Now, we're not particularly authoritative, but it is something you should at least pretend to do at the beginning of a position. Uh, That can be sort of worn away or eroded over time. That's fine. But you shouldn't start like that because it just gets worse over time. So we rejected him. Personnel guy sends out the email. And then the next day he gets a response, which is actually unusual. He said... In his email, he replied, uh, like, I thought I nailed it. And I would like like you to basically explain why I didn't get the job. Clearly indignant that he didn't get the job. But that was the core issue. The fact that he already thought he had the job, the fact that he thought he was, you know, owed this, that he was indignant that he didn't get it, was the reason we didn't hire him. Now, I said I would be willing to respond to that email. Our HR guy did it. But I knew exactly what I said. I would have actually gone in and said, look, the simple fact is we need you to do our work in our way. We need you to teach our lessons using our methodology. You had demonstrated that you aren't willing to do that by already implying that you don't know what you're doing. And this massive overconfidence that you demonstrated was also part of the issue that you wouldn't actually fit into our team because you think you're already above everyone else, so you aren't going to ever be part of the team. I don't know what our personnel guy said, but I did say that to him. I think he just like passed him off. A lot, there's not actually a lot of benefit to giving people feedback 
uh, when you've rejected them because they're just going to use that either as a point to argue, which again, still isn't going to get them a job. That's weird in itself. Or they're just going to use it to like, in their mind, say, oh, they thought this when that wasn't actually correct. So they're going to like sort of rewrite history in their head. But this statement from the guy on the internet, I smashed this job interview. He thinks he smashed the job interview. He may have actually demonstrated that he was inflexible because he thinks he knows what he's doing so better. And then he says, but a candidate that did worse than me got the job. How does he know that? Now, this may have been a group interview and he saw parts, which so it is possible that he thinks his performance wasn't as good as mine, but then he has failed to analyze what did that guy do to get the job that I didn't do. He's not saying I did anything wrong, I can work on myself. What he's saying is that guy wasn't as good as me, why didn't they give the job to the best candidate? But then that shows a secondary failure. He doesn't really understand what they were looking for in a candidate. Skills are important, but being a dick is worse. I guess that sentence doesn't make sense. Skills are important, but not being a dick is more important. How about that? That works better for me. And the thing is, you could be the best in the world at something, but if you are difficult to work with or you're not compatible, it means you are actually going to reduce the productivity of everyone else around you. So let's even say you are better than everyone else. So you have 20 or 30 average workers and one superstar who's better than everyone else. But if that superstar is incredibly difficult to work with, he's actually going to reduce the productivity of those 20 or 30 other people. Is the reduction of their productivity sort of surpassed by the value of having that guy who's incredibly skilled? If he's an asshole, which I guarantee the guy I'm talking about and the guy from the internet, I'm pretty much guaranteed that they are assholes. Is it worth having that much pain in the office? And most employers will tell you it's just not worth it. It would be worth hiring an average person who does fine work who gets along with everybody versus some guy who thinks he's amazing, who actually might be very good, but is going to make everyone's lives miserable because they won't stop telling you that they're amazing or they won't, or they'll insist that things be done in a way that no one else wants to do it. Who knows? There's like a, a litany of things you could actually list off that become problematic. But that last part, how do I convince them they made the wrong choice? The idea that you think you can go back and convince them they made the wrong choice, that they will then get rid of the guy that they've already hired and then hire you instead, again, shows that you don't really understand how this works. So the fact that you don't understand how this works shows that you need to work on yourself. And that, unfortunately, is the one thing these guys are never going to do. I think I may have talked about this before. I'm not sure. But I have a lot of complaints about the Amazon algorithm. And it came to light today when someone said, Again, it was the post I saw on the internet. It was like, Dear Amazon, I am not a toilet uh, seat collector. I do not want more than one toilet seat. It is a thing I buy out of necessity. It is not art. Which is a very nice way of putting it. Once, so the Amazon algorithm, basically you buy something and then it, it takes all those things, that, that thing you bought, and shows you a whole bunch more. So I bought this microphone. I did a little bit of research. I went on Amazon and I found the microphone I thought would be good for me. I was really happy with this and I bought it. And I still, 
and this has been months, like four or five months later, I'm still getting directed ads for microphones. Now, here's a question. How many microphones am I actually going to buy in my life? I went four years with a regular microphone that I plugged into the computer through a little thing, a little dongle thing. And then I thought, uh, a lot of people have mentioned there is a buzz in the background, whatever. So I'll, I'll get one made for a computer, the condenser microphone. I'm really happy with it. This is the Hyper, HyperX Solocast. It was about 6,000 something yen, so under 7,000 yen. And then since that point, months later, I still regularly get ads for microphones. Now, I have no intention of buying another microphone until this one dies. And how long it takes for it to die is going to be how I judge how much money I want to spend on it. If it lasts like three, four, five years, I'd be more than happy to spend the same, if not a little bit more money on it. If it breaks relatively quickly, I might actually be less likely to spend as much money or I might go uh, find something else that has sort of a guaranteed lifespan. I also, because I have big feet and live in Japan, it's very hard for me to buy shoes. So I buy almost all my shoes off the internet. This is a secondary issue. Since we're going back to the, I was surprised you didn't make your bed thing uh, from the beginning. Like people have an image of me and they have an image of me as someone who really loves Doc Martens. And that actually is not true. Doc Martens are fine shoes. I have no problem with them. Uh, I buy Doc Martens because I have to buy shoes off the internet and I have to know how they fit. And I know that Doc Martens size 11 UK fits my feet fine. Now I try to get the ones without the yellow stitching or something like that because that classic Doc Martin look to me just reminds me of like high school university. It's not a bad thing either. It's just one of those things where I, that's not the impression I'm trying to give. But then people find out I'm wearing Doc Martens and I've gotten two or three pairs and they're all Doc Martens and they're like, oh, you love Doc Martens. It's like, actually, I buy Doc Martens because I kind of have to. Because taking a chance on a different brand that has different, slightly different sizing means I might get a pair of shoes that don't fit. I will then, for the next four or five months after I buy a pair of shoes, get directed, targeted advertising for shoes and shoes alone. And it's very annoying because I just bought a pair of shoes. I don't buy four, five, six pairs of shoes a month. I, if I had too much money, I probably still wouldn't buy that many pairs of shoes. So I was like, Amazon has to do some tweaking to its algorithm. And the algorithm really should be taking a look at what you bought and what is the failure rate of that item. So when I buy a pair of shoes, usually work shoes, I'll wear them essentially for a year. And by the end of that year, I've worn them five days a week out of seven. So I've worn them almost every single day when I go to work. By the end of the year, I probably need a new pair of shoes. If I have two pairs of shoes, those shoes last two years, but it's still, it's one pair of shoes a year. So they need to put a feature into their algorithm that says a delay of one year before you start targeting advertising. And that way, what happens is when we get to the end of that year lifespan of that pair of shoes, it starts targeting me with the uh, shoe advertisements. I go, hey, yeah, my shoes are kind of worn out. They're all scuffed up. Maybe it is time for a new pair of shoes. They might be able to catch me a month earlier. Or they might get me to jump right in because that is something I'm going to need very soon. But a thing like a microphone, a condenser microphone like the one I'm using right now, my assumption is this is basically going to last for years and years and years and years. And targeting advertising at me for the next six months for something that I have that I fully intend to use exclusively for the next X amount of years 
without an upgrade or a purchase unless like something pretty dramatic happens in my life. It's completely pointless. It's a waste of time. It actually ends up annoying me more than anything else. So yes, what Amazon needs to do or the programmers that Amazon need to go, we need to find the failure rates of these things. So shoes one year, microphone, let's say three years. And from then, program that in. So two, three months before it actually happens, again, this will freak people out like, how did Amazon know that my microphone was about to give out? How did Amazon know that my shoes are worn out? But you would have the convenience of having these things like a list available to you of things that you might be interested in actually buying as opposed to, I just bought a toilet seat because mine cracked because someone was being goofy at a party. I bought it out of necessity. I do not want 16 more toilet seats. I feel like the next thing I'm going to say is somehow going to get in trouble, get me in trouble. It's an internet thing, so that's actually, yeah. So people believe in gender fluidity, and I'm okay with that. So I am very comfortable with transsexuality. So you're a woman in a man's body and you want to change your body to match how you feel. I understand that. Like, I think I get that as a concept. It obviously hasn't happened to me, but I think I understand how that could be a thing. So that one, I don't question it. Uh, Homosexuality, absolutely. Bisexuality. And I think the reason those, I have no question about them at all is because they actually fit exactly what I am in a way, like in a weird way. I am a heterosexual male. I am a. I am a transsexual woman. I am B. You're actually still making a singular definitive thing. Now, I'm old, and so the fluid idea is a bit confusing. I'm not saying it's not true, and I'm not saying it's wrong. We've got to be really clear about that before we even start. It's the idea that you wake up one day, and you feel like, today I'm a woman. And then you wake up the next day, and then the next day you feel like a man. Or throughout the day, your gender changes. That fluidity is difficult for me to comprehend because nothing in my gender identity is fluid. I think that's a, a base uh, that we can... I think everyone, I don't think I've said anything offensive yet. I am treading that water. Uh, I did watch the Dave Chappelle thing. I actually think he just talked about transsexual stuff too much. Um, and it wasn't that funny. Maybe, maybe that was actually more of the problem. It's supposed to be a comedy special. Social justice warriors accept the idea of gender fluidity very, very easily. So again, I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm saying it's hard for me to understand. That's actually a very difficult way to put it. Because if I say I don't understand something, a lot of people take that as I disagree with it. There's lots of things that I don't understand that I actually think are perfectly acceptable. You go ahead and do that. I don't think you should be stopped. So people who support and believe in the concept of gender fluidity. So today I wake up. I'm a man. By lunchtime, I'm a woman. By the evening, I'm a man again. They accept that concept and idea. These are also the people who are members of the cancel culture thing. So I was thinking of the James Gunn's thing, specifically. Because they went back and they found a tweet from a decade ago. And it was... Maybe it was a homosexual... I'm not sure. I don't remember. But it, it offended people. And I get that. And they said, because he tweeted this 10 years ago, he shouldn't be a director of this movie. Uh, and Disney actually like took him off Guardians of the Galaxy, stuff like that. My problem is that if you are in a group, there's a logical issue. 
between those two things if you haven't seen the parallel already. There's a logical issue that you're able to accept that someone's gender can change, let's even say hour to hour or day to day, but you're not willing to accept the concept or the idea that someone's opinion could change over a decade. So if he said something today and it was offensive and you got angry about that, absolutely, perfectly acceptable. But if you believe in gender fluidity, if you accept that and support it, then I don't think you can get angry about tweets or comments or things from 10 years ago. Because what you're saying is that some people who do this thing that I approve of is okay. Their changes are fine. But these other people who say something I don't like, who don't fit sort of the formats I support, that's unacceptable even though it is possible for them to change over time. I'm thinking about stuff I probably said or thought, how I've changed decade to decade. I'm going to be 50 next year. So that's five decades. And how have my opinions changed? Because it's pretty dramatic. I have always been liberal-leaning, but I have gotten more and more liberal as I have grown up. And I'm more and more accepting of divergent lifestyles and divergent ideas. Uh, I still put a lot of faith in science more than anything else, but how you feel in your identity has nothing to do with science. It's how you feel, and that can't be quantified. So I'm willing to accept a lot of stuff that, again, maybe doesn't make sense to me. But if I can accept that, then I can accept that someone was, let's say, homophobic 10 years ago and isn't homophobic anymore. And that's maybe where the end of cancel culture should start to come from. Because if you are on board with the cancel culture group, like that sort of social justice warrior group, what you accept is people are fluid, then you have to accept that other people might be fluid in other ways. So not just gender, but opinion, which I would actually say is a much more fluid thing. How did I do? Did I navigate those waters carefully enough? This was actually something I was talking about yesterday. So we're still wearing masks in Japan. Uh, it's not a political issue here. It's one I've been found very, issue, very interesting because it's a social issue. People wearing masks before was perfectly fine. And I was actually asking my coworkers, the number of cases has dropped dramatically. I actually was speaking in Ninja News Japan this morning. Uh, they think it's because, this is just a theory, so there's no proof to it. We're at about 60 plus, so close to 70% fully vaccination rate in Japan. And the other 30%, a lot of those people have actually already got COVID, so they might have natural immunity. And they think that's why there might be a sudden drop in the numbers, which does make a certain amount of sense. It hasn't been confirmed, but we're hoping there's the most sixth wave and it's sort of just like, dissipates and we're kind of done with this. The numbers in Tokyo have hit record lows compared to the last year, which of course everyone's very happy about. Everyone's still wearing masks. Now I noticed recently around my area when I take the dog for a walk, old people have stopped wearing masks. And I was like, huh, I bet they're actually under the impression that I've been vaccinated, therefore I'm perfectly safe, therefore I don't have to wear a mask anymore. Whereas you can still get it, you could still carry it and give it to someone else. You still should be careful. I'm fully vaccinated, I still wear a mask. 
I don't like wearing a mask, but I have noticed my allergies, something I've struggled with a lot today, apparently because of climate change. The last couple of days, the pollen count has been five times higher than normal, which is why my face has gone crazy and I just can't stop. I started taking drugs. It's completely irrelevant, but it's just like if I'm doing gross stuff where I actually forget to edit out a sniff or two, you'll have to forgive me because uh, I'm struggling really hard to keep things together. But wearing a mask overall over the last year has helped me with my allergies. It's kept them down. It's not, of course, perfect, but it has kept them down, which I'm really happy about. So I was going to keep wearing a mask, certainly during allergy season. But I was asking my coworkers, when would you personally be comfortable not wearing a mask anymore? And it's hard because there's social pressure. When I walk outside, sometimes I put my mask in my pocket. And then when I meet someone else, I'm like, ah, I should put my mask on. Not because I think I have it and I might give it to them. Not because I think they'll have it and they'll give it to me. I'm thinking because socially, I should have it on if I'm around anyone else for any amount of time. So I'm okay with that. I was thinking for me to stop wearing a mask, I think Tokyo, because Tokyo has been the measure for the country. If Tokyo was at zero, zero cases for multiple weeks, like one week minimum, but I would say two weeks, zero cases in Tokyo, maybe a, a random spattering of cases around the country, I might start being comfortable wearing a mask. But then I realized if everyone else in my office is still wearing a mask, I think I might still have to wear a mask. Again, just because of the social pressure. And I know there's a couple guys in the office who don't wear their mask properly anyways. They like wear it down around their chin or they don't cover their nose and stuff. I think I'm actually more susceptible to social pressure in this issue than actual whether it's safe. Because I don't want to be the guy in the office everyone looks at and goes, why isn't he wearing a mask? I just don't want to take that place. And then I don't know... Actually, my company has a mandate in the moment that you should wear a mask. And certainly we do interact with a lot of people, so wearing a mask is appropriate. Conservatively speaking, I think we should be one of the last groups of people to stop wearing a mask. That's something I'd be interested in. I'd be interested in uh, when would you be comfortable no longer wearing a mask in public? If you're wearing a mask, if you're like a pro-mask person. The loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon. Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube slash Podcast or streaming on twitch.tv slash chunkmakebeefchest. You can find Ninja News Japan on Facebook. Send questions or comments to speakpipe.com slash velocipodcast. Link in the description. Check out all the podcasts in the Velocipodcast family. See Mick B, Ninja News Japan and Daily Affirmations Weekly. I mean, he just casually leaned back and put his hand out there and cupped her vagina like it was just another way to say hello. I guess they don't believe in social distancing, but they were both wearing protective coverings, and by that I mean, pants.